2: Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is underway at nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 17th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. I don't need to tell you what uh, Tuesday means. It means cursing out day. And before I bring him on,
0: the president on Twitter writing the one who's actually being assaulted is Justice Kavanaugh, assaulted by lies and fake news. This is all about the lamestream media working with their partner, the Dems. The New York Times published a previously unreported episode of alleged sexual impropriety by Cavanaugh, while he was a student at yale however the female student referenced by the times declined to be interviewed and the paper revised the story to add her friends say
2: she does not recall the incident that's kind of important that's uh, they, uh, we got an allegation here that he exposed himself and he and his friends shoved his junk toward her hand but um she doesn't remember a bit of it no complaining victim, no actual eyewitnesses, a whole bunch of second- and third-hand hearsay, and now they want to reopen the Kavanaugh investigations. Joining us now is our friend Peter Kersenow, who knows a thing or two about the Supreme Court. Uh, Peter uh, is, of course, a Cleveland attorney. He's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's a best-selling author. He is the host of the Kersenow Report, and he will be my co-panelist, along with Hugh Hewitt and with Dr. Sebastian Gorka at the War for America Soul Tour. Uh November 21st on stage at the uh Rock uh, Holiday and Rockside in Independence get your tickets now at whkradio.com
3: Morning Pete Bob, still feeling dangerous. I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to November 21st, too, and I noticed on the website that everybody's table is sold out except for mine since I'm a late addition. So for your listening audience, uh, you can still purchase tickets for my table. I don't know how many are left, but uh, there's still tickets left for the table. So uh, looking good for last looks like, uh,
2: Pete. Pete, I was just told by Joshua Booth, our ops manager, that there are two seats left at your table.
3: Okay, well... You go get them and by uh, the way Matt... that
2: disappointed a lot of people I uh, I actually had somebody uh, commenting to me on Twitter and mentioned that um, uh, they uh, uh, really wanted to sit with Gorka but his table was so table was sold out then they really wanted Kersenau, but at the time he bought you weren't added to the list yet so your table wasn't available he wanted you so he's uh, he said he had to settle for Hewitt so
3: uh, see. <laughs> Hewitt, by the way, as we, uh, tw- uh tweeted back and forth, or I- I'm sorry, emailed back and forth, texted back and forth, whatever we were doing, we're using some kind of, of social media, has been out there defaming you. I, uh, heard him at about 6.15 <laughs> this morning, he maintained that you were lobbying to trade both Baker Mayfield and a first round draft choice for Sam Darnold. So you've gotta, you've gotta correct the record here. He's continuing to engage in these falsehoods to your detriment.
2: Well, I, I did see that. And not only did he say it on the air, he also put it on his Twitter feed. So, you know, his millions of followers saw it. Uh, so I'm going to respond to Larry Elder's millions of followers. I'm hosting Larry's show tonight, so I will make sure to return fire. But I did reply on Twitter, uh, Pete, in, in the best possible way I feel like that I could. I didn't say anything. I simply posted, uh, a picture, an image. Of the Ten Commandments, and I circled, uh, "Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor." So that's the only. And I think he he claims himself to be a Christian. He claims himself to be a Catholic. Does Hugh Hewitt? So we'll find out if that moves him at all to um, perhaps correct the record himself. We'll see.
3: All right. Yeah, a little disappointed in the run blocking yesterday. I thought that could improve. Uh, the penalties did get a little bit better. Still not where it should be. Baker needs to elevate his passes a little bit more, but. I'll tell you what, that first catch by OBJ was, as advertised, one-handed. I, having watched the Browns for decades, I can only remember a couple of catches that are similar. There was a Ray Renfro. Before your time, Bob, there was a Ray Renfro catch once, and uh, there have been a couple Paul Warfield catches. Aside from that, boy, that was a heck of a catch, keeping his feet inside uh, uh, the boundaries, too. That was pretty amazing.
2: He's um He has made that an art form. There's no doubt about it. And as they pointed out uh, on the broadcast, which I'm not a fan of, by the way, the uh, Joe Tessitore call. I like Booger. I'm not a fan of Joe Tessitore. But anyway, um, as they pointed out, this is not good fortune. It's not just lucky when he makes a one-handed catch. They show him in warm-ups catching the ball one-handed from a variety of angles. So in the event that he can only reach it with one, you always try with two. But, you know, you can jump. It's a lot easier to dunk with one hand than it is with two, as right. you probably know, as you're probably still working on that. Uh, in between hill sprints every morning, um, it's easier to dunk with one than two. You can jump higher with one than you can with two. So he's made that an art for him, and that's really a, it. Really, is an incredible thing to see. All right, Pete, uh, equally incredible to see, but for different reasons, is this new witch hunt. Uh, well, it's, it's not new, it's it's just 2.0 um, against Brad Kavanaugh. You have been reading and watching and listening to the allegations. I saw what the New York Times did. They put this allegation of an unnamed, unwilling, quote-unquote, victim, who her friends say has no recollection of anything like that ever happening, um, they put this uh, in the uh, New York Times as an excerpt from the book. They do not include what is in the book, which is that this individual is uh, not willing to come forward, not willing to be interviewed because she doesn't remember anything, and also that the accuser, the second-hand eyewitness uh, Max Steyer, is an attorney who a worked uh, in the uh, on the defense team for Bill Clinton back during the Monica Lewinsky impeachment hearings, uh, and was opposed. In some manner by Brett Kavanaugh, who worked on the Ken Starr investigation team, so no uh, no conflict of interest there at all. And this is uh, what they want us to impeach Brett Kavanaugh over. Your thoughts?
3: Well, uh, clearly it's not going to happen, and you know I think the Republicans have got their act semi together, which is a little bit of a surprise. It kind of astonishes some of us when we watch the Republicans. No disrespect to any individual Republican, but as a group, they don't seem to have a unified plan of action when things arise, whereas the Democrats seem to be, well, they may be doing it in a disreputable fashion, but they seem to have a plan of action. But um, in this case, I think it's important to remember what's at stake here. I don't think that this is simply a casual report. I don't think that this is something that was a, a you know something that was simply negligent or uh you know the overreaching on the part of the media and the Democrats. but I repeat myself I think this is part of a coordinated plan. I think the, the Democrats are concerned on several fronts. number one is ruth Gator Bader Ginsburg is not going to be around forever and i I think that their strategy is multi-pronged number one is yes they would like to impeach Kavanaugh uh, that would be very very nice or discredit him and that game was already given away by Blasey Ford's the attorney they want to discredit him and they're discrediting him because they're anticipating the either retirement uh, they're, they're anticipating Ruth Bader Ginsburg it may not be around on the Supreme Court that much longer and may be leaving before the next presidential election And in that regard, they want to make sure, first of all, that Kavanaugh is – uh, somehow, they're not going to impeach him, but they want to make sure that he's discredited as often as they can. And again, um, Blasey Ford's attorney gave that game away. Number two is the impeachment effort on the part of Nadler. I think there's only maybe four people in the country who really believe that they are serious in impeaching him. But they what they want to do, I believe, is they want to continue their effort to discredit Trump to the point where If Ginsburg were to retire before the next presidential election, they want to make Trump a nomination lame duck, so to speak. In other words, they don't want Trump to be able to replace Ginsburg. That's the holy grail. It's a big, big deal. If Ginsburg is replaced by a Trump pick, then the last organ that the left can plausibly turn to is the Supreme Court, and they will forever lose that. It will be the most conservative court of our lifetimes, probably of the last three generations, and they don't want to lose that. So they want to make sure that who they first of all they want to hamstring Trump in his ability to appoint anybody. They want to cast doubt on the person, make him somehow illegitimate, but they also want to say that you know Trump doesn't have the ability to appoint anybody to the supreme court because he's under this cloud and of course the media will go along with that because they are there is they've abandoned all pretense before they used to at least try to fool us into thinking that they were objective now they don't care whatsoever they simply have decided we're going whole hog we're putting all of our weapons on the table to make sure that the left prevails, Trump and conservatism doesn't prevail, so they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that uh, whoever that, that seat remains vacant until such time as a Democrat can make an appointment. So this is, this is a big and a long game, and it's also part and parcel of the left's general nihilism. They're trying to dismantle what it seems to be every institution in this country— um, all the societal norms it is truly an astonishing thing to watch um, and they 've as, as I said before, with respect to the press, even the politicians are abandoning pretense. Now oh, they still want to fool us a little bit, but every more and more of them are coming out like a bit o 'Wurk and saying, "Hey, we want to take your guns and I know that most. Democrat politicians are furious with him because it gives the game away. They've always been maintaining, well, we're not going to confiscate your guns—just the bad ones, just the scary-looking ones—and only from people who we can't trust. But Beto just came out and said what the long game was all along, and now that they can't play that that game any longer—at least not very credibly. So this um, is—I think this is part of an overarching plan that that they have. It's not simply a very discreet and narrowly focused uh, attempt to discredit Kavanaugh, it goes far beyond that.
2: Peter Kirsten, our guest, of course, uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to take our time out here, Pete, because I want to ask a couple of follow-up questions. Uh, with respect to Kavanaugh, but then since you brought up Beto and the guns, I also want to transition to that. You're right; they have pulled back the curtain. No more of this. No, we're not coming for your guns. We just want to have a, a, a you know a, a national background check. We want to make sure that everybody is uh, you know who is supposed to have guns can have them, but other people who are not allowed to don't get them, and so on. He just came and said, "Nope, we're coming for all of them." Uh, and I want to get your reaction to that. Peter Kirsten now continues with us right after this on AM fourteen twenty, The Answer. Make it
3: Line, man. All right, onward
2: we roll. It's 10:24. The Bob France Authority continues. We got Peter Kirsten out for two segments, two more segments. So that's a good thing, Pete. I want to share this with you. I know you've already heard it, but I want everybody to hear it, and I want it to be heard time and time and time again. This is what the Democrats' actual plan is for all of us.
0: Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Ah! we are not going to allow it to be used against a fellow Americans anymore.
2: So we got obviously roars of support from the Democrats in Houston at his um, uh, at the uh, uh, Democratic debate last week. Pete, he, he just you know he kind of said out loud what everybody already knew. They denied because they of course want to win elections, but uh, but now they're just going to go ahead and say it. We nobody on that stage corrected him and said, "No, no, uh, Beto, you're, you're going too far there. That is not what our plan is. Uh, it might be your plan, but no, we respect the Second Amendment. It's just that we want to do A, B, C, and D." Nobody corrected him, which means this is the uh, platform of the party.
3: Peter, you still there? Yeah, I am. I'm sorry about that, Bob. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that is. I think most of us knew that that was the Democrat uh, objective all along. They kept denying it, and the media, of course, will uh, allow them to engage in that deception. Uh, but there's a couple of things, and I think we shouldn't necessarily leap over them to make the overarching point, which is nonetheless very important. But that is that. Beto O'Rourke, as well as most of the people who talk about gun confiscation or quote unquote gun control, have absolutely no clue what they're talking about when it comes to guns in so many cases. First of all, he says, We're going to take your AR 15. I bet you he doesn't even know what an AR 15 is, but it's clear he doesn't know what an AK 47 is. Bob, do you know anybody who owns an AK 47? I besides do. Besides maybe some North Korean soldiers? I mean, this is extraordinary that he would say this, and no one pauses. No one says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? And one of the reasons is because I think most of the people in the media have no clue what kind of weapons there are out there, what's permissible, what's not permissible. But it's simply fantasy to say they're going to be confiscating guns. They may have been able to do so, say, in Australia or New Zealand. That's a whole different dynamic. First of all, it's a different culture, but more importantly, logistically, it cannot happen. Thankfully, this is a country with hundreds of millions of privately owned weapons that are used for sport and self-defense, and unfortunately, some of them fall into the hands of criminals. Now, there is no way in the world anyone is going to be confiscating hundreds of millions of weapons. That will not happen logistically. But from the standpoint of constitutional law, how does he propose getting around something called the Second Amendment? I said uh, earlier, Bob, and I I really believe this, that the strategic-minded Democrats are furious with Beto for giving away the game. Everyone has known or suspected that Democrats, if left to their own devices, would confiscate guns. They would do so incrementally, of course. It was part of a long game. They would do so by making it more difficult to either get certain types of weapons, and then they would incrementally encroach upon which weapons those were and then your ammunition they would enlist others to um, make it more difficult such as a walmart or maybe credit card companies to make it more difficult to obtain weapons but americans already have hundreds of millions of weapons and they were not going to be able to completely you know shut off the spigot but here now we've got beto o'rourke which is alerted Everybody to the fact that this is what the Democrats plan to do a lot more quickly than what we may have suspected. If they get into office and they operate all the levers of power that permit them to do these kinds of things, they will do it and probably do it very quickly before there's any kind of an uh, attempt to overturn or reverse the election in the next, next election cycle to prevent them from doing so. I bet you they'll try to do it very quickly. And Donald Trump, to his credit, has been pointing it out. I think a lot of other Republicans need to get up on the soapbox every single day. And by the way, they should do so in response to the Kavanaugh defamation also. They need to have a more coordinated effort, it seems to me. I know that a lot of us are frustrated by the fact that Democrats seem to have a plan every single morning for how they're going to address the media, and they will have certain surrogates address certain items, uh, certain action items, whereas Republicans seem to be content with making dry speeches on the floor of the Senate that nobody watches, and they don't have a coordinated effort to push back. And this is a golden opportunity, both the Kavanaugh uh, defamation, and, and not just an opportunity, this is necessary. This is necessary to protect our institutions and our rights, and also to continually point out what Beto O'Rourke has been saying, and call the other Democrats on this. This is extraordinarily important, not just from raw politics and the expediency of winning elections for, for individuals individual Republicans, but for protecting the rights of the American people. Incredibly important. We only have a few people who go out there and do so in a credible fashion. You know, you get a, a Ted Cruz out there, maybe one or two others, but they should be doing it in unison, in my opinion.
2: Peter Kirsten, I was our guest Uh, Tremendous insights into the uh, uh, gun grab by the left And by Beto Work and the rest of the Democrats On the other side of the news, Pete I'm going to ask you about Jerry Nadler uh, Who returned to work with the rest of the Congress last week And immediately got about working for the American people Uh, Kind of uh, He wants to impeach Donald Trump This is what Kevin McCarthy said
0: Nobody in America wants this. There are no facts for it. And here's Nadler, who campaigned to become chairman on the whole basis that
2: he'd be best for impeachment the day after the election. Peter Kirsten, our response to that as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. 1034, got one more segment with Peter Kirsten out on AM 1420. The answer, Pete, Uh, the entire world, it appears, is against Donald Trump. This is from the president last night at a rally in New Mexico. And you must never forget, get out
0: there and vote and get ready and get everybody. We need it because we're fighting a lot of forces, including Facebook, I saw, and Google, I saw. Did you see Google? He said... I may have lost two million to ten million votes according to this character that worked at Google, right? And we still won. How the hell did we win? Everybody was against us.
2: Everybody is still against him, and now the Democrats came back to work after their 45-day break and came back. Did they work on uh, um, uh, uh, making permanent the tax reductions that the American people are all benefiting from? Did they work on infrastructure? Did they work on anything? No, they came back, and Jerry Nadler and his crew started working on impeaching Donald Trump. Uh, Pete, I I I know it's not going to go anywhere but are they really truly going to do this for the next what do do we have 14 months away from the election are we really going to have that happen
3: i don't believe they're going to engage in formal impeachment proceedings but i do think that they want to continue to have a cloud of impeachment hanging over trump for some of the same reasons we talked about in the last segment and that is they're concerned uh, they're making the calculation. Uh, the, the smart people in the Democratic Party know uh, that's not an oxymoron. The, there are very shrewd <laughs> political strategists within the Democratic Party who are doing the calculation with respect to the possible departure of Ruth Gator, Bader Ginsburg. She may retire sometime. Who knows what will happen? And the concern is that sometime between now and the election, there's going to be a vacancy on the Supreme Court. And my goodness, they, they the, the last thing in the world, the, the, it, it would be Armageddon for them if Donald Trump had the ability to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So what they want to do is create a cloud over Donald Trump to make any attempt on his part to nominate a justice to the Supreme Court to be illegitimate. And to, you know, they're going to do the kind of um, uh, Merrick Garland kind of approach to say he is someone who should not be in a position of nominating uh anyone to the Supreme Court until the cloud of impeachment is lifted or until the next election, of course. I think that's what their strategy is. And I also think that they have no means by which they're going to be able to replicate the kind of enthusiasm they were hoping to have the last time around um, because – I think everybody, even a significant portion of their base is done with the impeachment possibility. I think most of them, i mean, yeah, there there are the rabid people in the base who need to be fed and and in large part, in addition to making sure that they can cast a cloud or, over Trump's ability to replace Ginsburg, they've got to feed that base that demands that they every single day go after Donald Trump and at least pursue impeachment. Um, I I do think that at the end of the day, they will, and they're going to continue to do so, but after two and a half years of a special prosecutor, of dozens of FBI agents, an unlimited budget, and rabid Clinton partisans going after Trump, looking under every rock to try try to find something that they could hang their hat on, There's no impeachment inquiry to be had. There's absolutely nothing here. It's been exhausted, and that's why they're slow rolling it, because they know they don't have anything, and they also know they're going to have a very difficult prospect getting many of their Democratic brethren on board when in the last election cycle, they made some gains in large part because some people in purple or marginally red districts, some Democrats won. Those guys don't want to see an impeachment, especially one on such a flimsy ground because they have the prospect of potentially losing their seats and, and overall losing the house. Um, in a nutshell, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think it's going to be on a slow simmer on the back of the stove, and they're, they're going to continue to uh, you know, make reference to it from time to time to satisfy their base and also to continue to pummel Trump.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it might be even worse than just they want a cloud over him of impeachment to stop him from being able to appoint a new Supreme Court justice potentially, you know, in the event that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is no longer there um, I feel like it's just people are going to vote you know they they want to hang this over him until November of next year and they're going to tell people you are about to vote and your choices are our nominee or an incumbent president who is on the verge of being impeached uh, the hearings are set you know they might even go ahead and get this thing passed in the house and then send it to the Senate for the trial or at least say that's coming uh, between now and and the would-be transition period you can't vote for a man who's under a cloud of impeachment so, um, I, and I think the president realized that, too, because he spoke to uh, to that issue How yesterday about as well. How
0: these phony Democrats? They started with Russia, Russia, Russia. That turned out to be a fraud. That turned out to be a fraud. Then they went to race. Do you believe that one, race? I'm the least racist person in this room. Then they went to recession. There's going to be a recession. Oh, please,
2: let's... All right, I don't know where that went. That shouldn't have happened. But he went on to say, "Recession," and then the new one is enrichment, saying that you know if a foreign uh, uh, official comes and stays at one of my hotels, somehow I'm being enriched. He said, "I'm going to lose billions of dollars over the course of my presidency. I'm not being enriched." But those are all of the things that that, that they were going to use to formulate the argument for impeachment. Um, and I don't see that slowing down between now and November of next year.
3: I agree with that, because what else are they going to talk about? We live right now. If you are running for the presidency or the nomination for uh, the Democratic candidate, then what do you have to really talk about? Because in the past, there were really two principal pillars that a candidate would talk about. One would be the economy, and the other would be foreign policy. With respect to the economy, we're living in the best economy of our lifetimes, uh, and because the Democrats play gender identity politics because their policy proposals, if they were to to run on those and talk about those, are rejected by most people. So the, the fact of the matter is, You've got, and Trump repeatedly says that, and I this and I wish more Republicans would say it. They've got to say it more and more and more and more often. I know it's repetitive, but they've got to do it. It's essential. That all the, you know, the record low unemployment rates for all the different demographic groups, median household income going up and 6 million people dropping off for food stamps. You can go on and on and on and on. Trump does so, and sometimes it gets tedious and boring, but it's essential to continue to do so because the Democrats control the airwaves. So we've got to get out there every single time time and say that you and i hear about it many of your listening audience hear about on a regular basis but there are tens of millions of people who don't hear it on a regular basis so i think it's essential to do so but but going back to it the democrats don't have a whole lot to talk about they have no accomplishments to talk about the obama legacy has been almost completely dismantled and to the extent it hasn't been dismantled, they are in a catch-22. Democrats are talking about going Medicare for all, but wait a minute. It was just a few years ago when they told us that the biggest legislative achievement of all time was going to solve all of our health care problems and put everybody on a health care plan that was going to be affordable. Now they're telling us, no, no, never mind, we've got to go further than that. We've got to have Medicare for all. Who would give these guys... Keys to the government. They are inept. They've got no ideas. They have nothing to talk about. And the only thing they have to talk about are, frankly, they lie repeatedly. And that's not an exaggeration to say, and I know your listening audience believes that. But the fact of the matter is, they and their handmaidens in the media have, again, abandoned all pretense. They've got nothing to run on. So they come up with these falsehoods on a regular basis, and they are the most uh, kind of appalling falsehoods. And they do so just with astonishing impunity. They, they do so, they lie directly to your face. That's what's so amazing to me, and I'm sure many members of your audience who've been watching politics for decades. They've decided no more are we going to play any kind of subtle game here. No more is the media going to, kind of with a wink and a nod, support the Democrats and kind of subtly try to shift or influence policy. Now they're going to do so overtly. They've taken sides. They've, they've raised the banner. And um, when Trump was talking about facebook and and google and the search engines and the manipulation of of results i mean i have no means by i've seen the 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 people who've made those analyses or the the one individual especially who says he's a democrat but says he's alarmed by this and did the analysis i don't know to what what extent we can quantify that but what we do know is this one thing all of us can agree on is Ninety eight percent of the media is in the Democrats pocket. All the major institutions in the Democrats pocket, the educational institutions keep spitting out, you know, baby Democrats over and over again until such time as real life hits them smack in the face. And they realize that everything they've been told from K through college is just one big propaganda um, uh, effort. I mean, they have got all of this at their disposal. There is significant amount of influence, and by the way, uh, about five or six years ago, some Democrats actually came up, and I can't recall this study. I'll have to go to Google and find out, you know, to extent it gives me the honest result. But there, 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 there are studies. I was going go to say, go to
2: DuckDuckGo instead. Don't go to. Google. We're, we're trying <laughs> right. to wean ourselves but, off of that search engine. But go ahead.
3: There, there was a previous study, the one previous to the uh, the one who the individual who claims that um, there. Uh, Facebook has probably influenced 10 to or two to 10 million votes, but there was another study about six or seven years ago where, again, it, it was by you know, you know some left-leaning professors who said that the media influence—not Facebook, but television and newspapers—the um, bias within those media actually account for about five percent shift. Or five point, not five percent, five point shift in favor of Democrats. That's extraordinary. That's absolutely extraordinary. So it doesn't necessarily um, strain credulity to think that perhaps Facebook with its, uh, you know, it's just it's pervasive yeah. has an influence on those individuals who, you know, they get their information from it and may be otherwise undecided. They don't have any particular hard leaning toward one party or another.
2: Pete, let me close with this with you. Um... If you had to put money on it, uh, who would your money be on? Would your money be on Joe Biden with the chain or Corn Pop with a knife? <laughs>
3: Well, first of all, Corn Pop's got to change the name. But you know, it's what's extraordinary to me. I don't know if that ever happened. I have serious doubts that it happened. It doesn't sound plausible to Not me, in mean, it doesn't remotely. have the ring of truth at all. Those of us who've been involved in those kinds of confrontations know it when it's real. It's just like with Cory Booker and his imaginary friend T Bone. Hey, I mean, these people—they're either T Bone were boys. Yeah. they were buddies. <laughs> t-bone and corn pop you got uh I, I want you got pocahontas who thinks she's an indian you know i mean th- these people don't live in reality and yet we're going to give them the keys to the white house uh, i don't think so
2: there is a video that i will send to you that is an animated uh, joe biden versus corn pop uh, battle that i think you will uh, have a have a lot of fun
3: with. <laughs> people don't know who, Go who, who do you think is tougher corn pop or t-bone uh, Well, I don't know.
2: Corn pops are just crunchy. T-bone steaks can be tough, I suppose. You know, if you overcook it a little bit, I, I suppose it can be. So I'll give T-bone the edge there in that one. Uh, but I, but I'm, I I really feel like I'm in danger, though, if I'm ever caught in a dark alley with corn pop, T-bone, and soft drink. Though, all three of those guys are going to be...
3: That's a dangerous combination right there. Bob, uh, i got to p- get myself an imaginary friend. Yeah, you know what we
2: both do. I I I think that should be uh that should be mandatory. Maybe Donald Trump needs to do that too. Who knows? Uh, maybe cuz you know what? <laughs> I, I promise you corn pop and record player uh you remember that from last week, right? Uh, that was yep, one of absolutely. Uh, We're going to be hearing more All about of those that. are going to be heard on the debate stage if Biden wins the nomination and he's opposed to Donald Trump. Donald Trump on his side of that stage will make Hey, with corn it's, pops and record players and phony uh, uh, pinnings of medals on, uh, uh, on uh, soldiers after uh, repelling gr- uh, down walls as vice president and all of the other nonsense that Joe Biden has talked about. All of that stuff is going to come up in a debate. I almost want him to win for that reason alone, because the president...
3: That's the fun. beauty of Donald Trump. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so entertaining to hear these things. In the past, Republicans would never, ever, ever do that. Trump is going to be tap dancing all over. <laughs> those
2: guys. <laughs> Peter Kirsten out. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Take care, Bob. You got it. There's uh, Peter Kirsten out. It's 1040. I'm going to take a time out now and as promised in the first hour, on the other side of this, I'm going to pay tribute to a very important day in America's uh, calendar, on America's calendar and that's today and that is Constitution Day. We had a previous caller mention it. I'm going to share a little bit of history with you that is worth your time. I promise you on AM 1420 The Answer. I want to wrap it up this morning with a little bit of history from our friend and noted historian and best-selling author Bill Federer, who sent this out this morning to all of those who subscribe to his American Minute, Constitution Day. Today is the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord one thousand seven hundred and eighty-seven. These were the. This was the last line of the U.S. Constitution. The signer of the Constitution, James McHenry, noted in his diary that after Ben Franklin left the Constitutional Convention, he was asked by Ms. Elizabeth Powell of Philadelphia, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? And Franklin replied, a republic, if you can keep it. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defined republic, the exercise of sovereign power is lodged in representatives elected by the people. To help explain... Democracy has come to have two definitions, one in the general concept of people ruling themselves, the other an actual system of government. As an actual system of government, a democracy is where the people are kings ruling directly, whereas a republic is where the people are king ruling through their representatives. As an actual system of government, a democracy only successfully worked on a small basis, like a Greek city-state where every citizen went to the marketplace every day to discuss politics. Politics is from the Greek word polis, which means the business of the city. The same word translated into Latin is civics. Citizen is also contrasted with subject. Kings have subjects who are subjected to the king's will. Citizen is a Greek word which means co-ruler, co-sovereign, co-king. Citizens participate in ruling themselves. Democracy as a system of government is limited in size. As once a city grows to lo- so large <clears throat> that citizens cannot come to the marketplace every day, control is transferred to those who carry news of what is being discussed, which can be slanted one way or another. Republics can grow larger, though as citizens spend their time taking care of their families and their farms, and representatives go in their place to the market every day to discuss politics or the business of the city. A constitutional republic is where the representatives are limited by a set of rules approved by the citizens. Teddy Roosevelt, October 24, 1963, said, In no other place and at no other time has the experiment of government of the people by the people for the people been tried on so vast a scale as here in our own country. Americans pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. Citizens are basically pledging allegiance to being in charge of themselves, exercising their authority through representatives that they pick. When someone protests the flag, what they are saying is, I no longer want to be king. I protest this system where the people rules themse- or People rule themselves. In the Roman Republic, representatives were hereditary positions. The American Republic is a hybrid where representatives are democratically elected. Yale President Ezra Stiles stated in 1788, quote, most states of all ages have been founded in rapacity, usurpation, and injustice. All of the forms of civil polity or governmental systems have been tried by by mankind except one, and that seems to have been reserved in Providence to be realized in America. John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, stated in September 8th of 1777, the Americans are the first people whom heaven has favored with an opportunity of deliberating upon and choosing the forms of government under which they should live. All other constitutions have derived their existence from violence or accidental circumstances. Ronald Reagan stated in 1961, in this country of ours, took place the greatest revolution that has ever taken place in the world's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another. Declaration signer James Wilson, who also signed the Constitution and was appointed to the Supreme Court by George Washington, remarked at Pennsylvania's ratifying convention in 1787, governments in general (coughs) have been the result of force of fraud and accident. After a period of 6,000 years has elapsed since the creation, the United States exhibit to the world the first instance of a nation assembling voluntarily and deciding calmly concerning that system of government under which they would wish that they and their posterity should live, End quote. John Adams wrote in his notes in Canon and Feudal Law 1765, I always consider the settlement of America with reverence as the opening of a grand scene and design in Providence for the illumination of the ignorant and the emancipation of the slavish part of mankind all over the earth. End quote. 1802, Daniel Webster stated in a 4th of July oration, The history of the world is before us. The civil, the social, the Christian virtues are requisite to render us worthy the continuation of that government which is the freest on earth. After the U.S. Constitution was written, It needed to be ratified by nine states in order to go into effect. Eight states had ratified it, and New Hampshire was in line to be the ninth, but disagreements caused it to stall. The governor of New Hampshire declared a day of fasting. New Hampshire reconvened its ratifying convention in June of 1788. Harvard President Reverend Samuel Langdon gave an address which was instrumental in convincing the delegates to ratify ratify the Constitution. The Portsmouth Daily Evening Times, january first, eighteen ninety one, acknowledged Reverend Samuel Langdon's influence. Quote, by his voice and example, he contributed more, perhaps, than any other man to the favorable action of that body. End quote. Langdon's address was titled, The Republic of the Israelites, an example to the American States, June fifth, seventeen eighty-eight. In it he stated Instead of the 12 tribes of Israel, we may substitute the the 13 states of the American Union and see this application plainly, that as God, in the course of his kind providence, hath given you an excellent constitution of government, founded on the most rational, equitable, and liberal principles by which all that liberty is secured, and you are empowered to make righteous laws for promoting public order and good morals. And as he has moreover given you by his son, Jesus Christ, a complete revelation of his will, it will be your wisdom to adhere faithfully to the doctrines and commands of the gospel and practice every public and private virtue, end quote. My friends, this is the history of our Constitution and thus the history of our liberty and our freedom. Do not take it for granted. And remember, we have been granted this constitutional republic, but it is up to us to keep it. Happy Constitution Day. I'll talk to you tonight on the Larry Elder Show.
0: Enjoy the silence.